Luther did such a great job, great job, uh, with the message on Thanksgiving. Next week, we're going to start our messages of Advent. Today, I'm going to continue Andrew's theme on uh, Thanksgiving, and I'm preaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. I'm uh, reading from the New King James Version. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. This is what the Bible says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The title of the message this morning is Thanks and Giving. Thanks and Giving. Let's bow our heads and pray together. And Lord, I pray for your uh, blessing on the morning. I pray for your blessing on your people. May your spirit fall fresh on us now. Give us ears to hear, Lord. And hearts to understand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Several days ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving. As you know, how many of you are like me? Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday. I've shared that before. Thanksgiving is your favorite. Yes, thank you. A couple, a couple. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. As you know, uh, Thanksgiving is a mashup of two words, thanks and giving. Thanks and giving. It actually refers to the giving of thanks but there is a relationship between thanks and giving. As a matter of fact, it's a relationship cycle that happens between thanks and giving. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me begin with this. For the Christian, all giving, all giving begins with God. For the Christian... All giving begins with God. Let me explain. The Bible says God is the giver of life. 
Not only that, the Bible also says God is the giver of eternal life. The Old Testament says every good thing I have comes from God. The New Testament says every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. Philippians 4.19 says God will supply all my needs. John 3.16 says God has given his only begotten Son to supply my greatest need. In light of all of this, Starting with the punchline this morning. Starting with the punchline. In the final verse of the passage, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, the Apostle Paul writes these words, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God. Paul is so overcome by emotion here. After what he writes in verses 6 through 14, that he has an outburst of praise. He can't hold back because of what he's just written here. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's an outburst of gratitude and praise for the gift of Jesus to the world. That's the gift he's talking about, that indescribable gift. And just for a moment, Paul's speechless. That's what the word indescribable indicates he's so blown away by God's goodness in giving his son to the world that he can't even put it into words. He can't even describe it. It's out of God's gift to the world, out of his gift of Jesus, and out of our thanks, thanks be to God, out of our thanks, that we then give. And the cycle of thanks and giving begins. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Our passage starts at verses 6 and 7. This is what the Bible says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word sow means to cast or scatter seed. He who sows or casts seed sparingly will reap sparingly. The size of a harvest is dependent on several factors. One of those factors is the amount of seed that you sow. If you want a big harvest, by rule, you must sow a lot of seed. You can't sow enough seed for a 10 by 10 foot garden and expect 100 acres of harvest to come in. So the farmer in Paul's day had a decision to make. At harvest time, he could decide to sell all of his grain or he could decide maybe to eat all of his grain but then he would have nothing left for the following year to plant. So the choice is, will he do that, sell or eat? Or, instead, will he lose some of his grain, lose in quotation marks, by setting it aside and sowing it for the following year? The amount he sets aside will help determine how much he will have at harvest time the following year. 
Many will do the same. They'll set some aside and sow more. It's all common sense. The fewer seeds you sow, the less your harvest will be. Of course, if that's true, then the alternative is true as well. Second half of the verse says, He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, the more seed you sow, the greater your return on investment. And that's what this is. The amount of seed you sow is an investment. But here's the thing. Paul isn't talking about seed here. Chapters 8 and 9 make it clear that he's talking about monetary gifts. And specifically, Paul is addressing in chapter 8, urging the the, uh, Corinthian Christians to give toward the church at Jerusalem where many poor Christians were. It was an act of benevolence. He was reaching out to the Corinthian church for benevolence to help the church in Jerusalem. But this applies to all financial giving in the church. It's applicable here. I like what Paul writes in the previous chapter. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 8, he calls giving a grace. It is a grace to give to the church. It's a grace to invest in the ministry because it's an investment. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So based on these two verses, there are four things you need to know about giving. Number one, giving should be done bountifully. If you have a a New American Standard Bible, or maybe you have an uh, NIV or New Living Translation, maybe even Christian Standard Bible or even another, that word bountifully is translated generously. But the better translation of that word in the Greek is with blessings. If you sow with blessings, you will also reap with blessings. That is blessing upon blessing. Come back to you when you sow bountifully, when you sow with blessing. Second point, giving should be done purpose. It should be done on purpose as a man purposes in his heart. It should be on purpose and with purpose. Number three, giving should be done willingly, not grudgingly, not out of necessity, to be done willingly, out of sincerity, not out of regret. Finally, giving should be done cheerfully. That word cheerfully in the Greek is hilaros. It looks like this on the screen. Hilaros is how that's pronounced. Uh, this is what it looks like in the English. If you use English letters, hilaros, if you look at that closely, it looks like our English word for hilarious god loves a hilarious giver which means god means god loves someone who gives with joy and i appreciate barb talking about joy someone who gives with joy Woo-hoo! yes can you believe we get to partner in the ministry with what god has given us remember everything we have god has given us And we get to partner with him by giving part of it back. 
just part of it. God loves a hilarious, cheerful giver, one who gives with joy. And verse 8 says these words, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Listen to these words from that verse one more time. See them on the screen. All grace. All ways. All sufficiency. All things. Every good work. There is no waste with God. There is no waste with God. All grace. God doesn't waste a single grace. All grace is available to you. Not just a little bit of it, but all of it. His grace will abound toward the generous and cheerful giver. As a matter of fact, his grace will exceed your expectations. Always. God doesn't waste a single moment. His grace is with you always. All sufficiency. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And here in chapter 9, verse 8, Paul is saying God himself is sufficient. He is all sufficient. He's all you will ever need. All things. God doesn't waste a resource. Every resource is useful. Finally, every good work. God doesn't waste any good effort on the part of the giver. And you can be certain he will provide for you. Here's what Tony Evans says about verse 8. Listen to this quote. God's superabundant grace includes all that he can do for you that you are unable to do for yourself. When God's kingdom is given priority in your life, you open yourself to waves of grace that are bigger than your gift. Waves of grace, I love that. When you sow bountifully, when you sow with blessings, you will reap blessing upon blessing. Tony Evans calls that waves of grace coming back to you. Verse 9, as it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. This is a direct, a direct quote from Psalm 112, verse 9. Psalm 112, verse 9. That he is referring to the man who fears the Lord. Go back to Psalm 112, verse 1. You'll find that's who he's talking about. The one who fears the Lord. Verse 5 calls him a good man. A righteous man. This man has dispersed abroad. He has scattered his seed without holding back. And I like what one commentator said. It's implied in this sentence that he always has what he may disperse. Do you understand that? What the giver, what the man who fears the Lord gives out, it always belongs to him. It's always his anyway. As he scatters seed, that seed is his. It comes back to him in those waves of grace that Tony Evans talked about. I'm going to mention that a little more later. Continuing in verse 9 of chapter 9. He is given to the poor. You know the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. 
New Testament is written in Greek. That Greek word for poor is interesting. It's used only one time in the entire New Testament, and it's here. Only once. You see the word poor in the New Testament a lot. And it always refers to one who is destitute. One who relies on what he has through giving, pardon me, through begging. The poor usually refers to a beggar, one who is destitute. This word here refers to a laborer who works for his daily bread, like Paul. Who worked for a living, but was dependent on his daily bread from others, from God's faithful people and their giving. They supported the ministry financially. Paul made clear in Philippians chapter 4 that, hey, things weren't always easy. There's often uh, want. Sometimes there was plenty. Often there was want. But God always provided. God always provided. Then the last phrase, the good man's righteousness endures forever. It's a promise of eternity. The giver's faith is proven by his bountiful and cheerful giving, and eternity awaits him. Look down at verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us, to God. Verses 10 and 11 are a prayer. Paul is praying for the Corinthians here. And he prays that God, who's the provider of all that has been given us, will multiply the financial gifts the Corinthians gave and increase the fruits or the harvest of their righteousness. When you sow bountifully, when you sow with blessings, you reap blessing upon blessing. The more seed you scatter, the greater your harvest will be. It's a law of the harvest. There's another law of the harvest. What you sow, you will reap. What you sow, you will reap. So if I spread seed for corn, I can't expect apples to grow. I can't expect grapes I can't expect rose bushes. When I plant seed for corn, I'm going to reap corn. But in God's economy, in God's economy, your investment of dollars into the ministry do not reap dollars. A material sowing reaps spiritual harvest. You hear that? Material sowing in God's economy reaps a spiritual harvest. And that's why we give. We give so that others may know what we know, Grace. We have a desire for more people to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to die on the cross for their sins, so that they may have the hope of eternal life. That's our motivation for giving. While you are enriched, in everything. That's the waves of grace Tony Evans is talking about. Those waves of grace flow back to the recipient of the gift. 
to those who respond to the gospel message as a result of the gift, and then back to the giver, all of which causes thanksgiving through us to God, you're starting to see a cycle develop. I hope so. Verses 12 and 13. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. It's not only Paul who is thankful here, but those who are the focus of Paul's ministry because giving produces thanksgiving. Giving produces thanksgiving. And here's the blessing. When I talked about this just a moment ago, the giver is part of that ministry. You share in the joy of others coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. When someone, when a child comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior here at Vacation Bible School, you share in that ministry. You share in that joy. You get part of that because of your investment. When someone comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior through our missionary partners, whether it's in Paris Island or in Kenya, you share in that, Grace. You're part of that. You always have what you give. You're part of that harvest. You share in that harvest. Look at the words in verse 13. They glorify God for your obedience in giving. Hear me, please. God's glory should always be the ultimate aim of our giving. God's glory should always be the ultimate aim of our giving. I like verse 14 because it builds on that thought of partnership in the gospel ministry says this, by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. says those who are on the receiving end of a gift pray for the giver. Not only that, they long for the giver. There's an emotional connection here. When you give to grace and we send to Kenya, there's a connection between grace and Reuben. And the people he's serving in Kenya. There's an emotional connection. The recipient of a gift may be right next door, or maybe he may be halfway around the world, but there's always a connection there. My wife and I know this firsthand. There's an emotional connection between the giver and the recipient. And then Paul finishes where we started. In verse 15, he says this. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's a Greek word you may be familiar with. It's the Greek word charis. Charis. Most often translated grace in your Bible. Here it's translated differently. That word charis is translated thanks. Literally, that verse should say grace or favor be to God. 
for the gift so great, I can't even put it into words. And that brings us back to where we began. For the Christian, here is where all giving begins. God gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. That gift produces an outburst of thanks, an outburst of grace, an outburst of praise to God. And it's out of that thanks that we then give. Our thanks to God is not just in word, but in deed. And that's why we give. We give so that others may hear the gospel message and have the hope that we have in Christ. That gift generates thanksgiving from the recipient to God. It also generates thanksgiving from those who come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And finally, it generates waves of grace to the giver who responds with thanksgiving to God. And the cycle continues. Do you see it? God gave, we give thanks. Out of that thanks, we give. We give so others may know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They give thanks. And the cycle just continues to go. Because of your faithful giving. It's up to God's people to keep the cycle going. Purposely, willingly, cheerfully, and bountifully. So that all may know Jesus. I say it every week. I say it every week, Grace. I'll say it again. Thank you. Thank you for your faithful giving. God bless you for it. And thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And I, and I pray that um, as we move forward from here, that maybe we'll think of that word thanks in a different way. There's such meaning there. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for Grace Church. Bless your people, God. Thank you for Continue to have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.